This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, April 5th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride suspends certain development applications. Garden and agriculture programs see a growth in interest. Locals protest bank opening. And a mountain weather forecast. The town of Telluride passed an emergency ordinance last week to temporarily suspend the submission of certain development applications. Uh, The first one is on planned unit developments. That's Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger speaking at a town council meeting last week. A planned unit development is a bargain for exchange between a developer and the town of Telluride. Town of Telluride is willing to grant a variance to certain land use code provisions in return for an offer of certain public benefits. Those public benefits are listed in the land use code. That section is mentioned in the ordinance as well. Well, I think planning and zoning and town council, they both expressed a desire to amend that list of public benefits. The second area of discussion looks to clarify language around the vacation of lot lines. The third component is a very isolated area in the town called the residential commercial zone district. In that residential commercial zone district, Unlike every other zone district in town, except for a couple of uh, public purpose zone districts, for, for the residential developments that occur, this zone district, unlike all the others, does not have a maximum house size limit. All the other zone districts have that maximum house size limit at 4,000 square feet. This zone district does not. That was a concern expressed by council and by the Planning and Zoning Commission. Finally, basements in the hillside area of town. Currently, basements built into the hillside, or below grade, don't count as part of the square footage of a home. And there are some concerns about that. We're seeing double basements, and we're seeing much larger areas of a structure built or constructed below grade compared to that structure above grade. The emergency ordinance was proposed during a town council retreat in conjunction with the Planning and Zoning Commission and the Historic and Architectural Review Commission. The emergency ordinance proposes a six-month pause on applications for PUDs, lotline vacations, and resident commercial zone district, and certain basements on hillside lots so PNZ, HARC, and town council can develop potential revisions to the land use code. Stacy Lake, a member of the HARC board, supports potentially making changes to the land use code, but doesn't believe the emergency ordinance is necessary. He compares the process to several years ago when PNZ amended the land use code without an emergency ordinance. My concern is this, is that we're on a shot clock. My fear is that that process won't be as thoughtful or as diligent as it should be. I think we can undertake the, the, the rightful correct Adjusting sorry, land use code to address trends we're seeing in the building, you know, the square footage below grade. But we don't, I don't understand why that rises to the level of emergency. We, we, we did it before, just a few years ago. We can do it again. During public comment, a number of members of the community shared their concerns about the emergency ordinance. Here's Sally Puff Courtney. I'm very concerned about our economy. I think when you start using words like moratorium and pause and Things of that nature. I think it's really bad for the town of Telluride. I think it's bad for the economy. Um, I don't, I'm sure that you've just had your retreat. So you've looked at the transfer tax and the transfer tax is way down. And that, that affects me. That affects our group of real estate brokers in this town. 
and it trickles down to all the worker bees here in this little town. And I think using these, these words, emergency moratorium, it is bad for business. Greg Craig doesn't believe the issue falls within the scope of an emergency. I'm reading this emergency ordinance. It says it's necessary for the urgent preservation of public property. Well, that's not applicable. Public health, not applicable. Peace. We don't have revolution in the streets over this. Safety, there's nothing to do with safety. Welfare of the town, very questionable. Those are the reasons you have an emergency ordinance. Some might view this as a misuse of, emer of emergency power as an authoritarian populism, similar to Trump's use of emergency power um, with the fence with Mexico. So I would urge you, if you are going to pass a moratorium, do it in two meetings. Make this a regular ordinance, have it passed in this meeting, and then have a meeting in two weeks and pass it. Don't misuse your emergency authority. Mayor Delaney Young acknowledges emergency ordinances are typically seen when it comes to natural disaster or disease, but she believes this still fits. I think it was Mian who said this comment at the retreat. If we don't do something now, what will be left kind of thing? And so, though some people may not see it as an emergency for the public safety, welfare of the community, preservation of community, there are others who may just have a different opinion on that. Council member Dan Enright doesn't believe the economic argument holds up. I've heard it when we wanted to tax short-term rentals. I've heard it when there wanted to be a restriction on the number of short-term rental licenses in town. I heard it around the valley floor, and I heard it around 2015's ballot issue 300 regarding lot lines of, oh, the economy. When the town of Telluride generated more sales tax revenue in 2022 than any other year, that fear-mongering has stopped carrying any amount of water for me. Things have shifted. It is not the responsibility of the town of Telluride to protect one specific segment of the business community. In the end, town council passed the emergency ordinance in a 5-2 to two vote, with council members Lars Carlson and Jesse Ray Arguez voting against. PNZ, Hark, and Town Council have six months to amend the land use code before the pause on applications is lifted. According to Yvette Henson, the county director for the San Miguel Office of the state's agricultural extension, a phenomenon has been growing in the region as of late. Gardeners are geeking out over local seeds and seed saving. A seed exchange that began amongst hobby gardeners in 2021 has grown into a full-blown library, which collects and distributes local seeds. And so that's been really fun. And I think it's important, you know, saving seeds and having local seeds is an important part of a local food system. So it's really a good skill to have. And seeds have like a natural ability in their genetics that they adapt to wherever they're grown. And so if you save seeds and grow them out and save them and grow them out over several years, they're more regionally adapted. The San Miguel Basin Extension supports gardening and agricultural programs in the region. Between water scarcity on the county's west end and the east end's high elevations, growing crops can be a serious challenge. But the Extension Office is always learning more. One of their ongoing projects, Henson reports, is an experimental veggie garden located behind the Angel Baskets food pantry in Telluride. 
Henson says the garden is specifically for researching which plants thrive at high altitudes. So it's like part of variety trial, what varieties do well here, and then it's part how they perform with season extension covers. But I've got all this data that I never have time personally to make into publications. And so I applied for a CSU intern to do that work and it was accepted. We had seven people apply. Like I was, wow. And then we interviewed five of them and the person that we wanted the most accepted the position. Henson adds the garden has been a big success and organizing the data will be a boon to area gardeners. I'm excited about that because it's been really, we've learned so much about growing at high elevations in that garden. So it'll be nice to have brochures on all the crops. Henson spoke before the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners last week with an update on extension office programs. Recently, the office hired a coordinator for its Youth 4-H programming, which Henson says came at just the right time. Because enrollments are up this year, we have a lot of people, several, a lot in my mind, of people that have never been in 4-H that are like joining 4-H. So that's really fun. In other updates, Henson says events and public programs are slowly rebounding after a COVID-related slowdown. County commissioners were pleased to hear of the revival in activity, but Commissioner Lance Waring wonders if the motivation is not entirely bright and sunny. And can I circle back to the food uh, seed library? Yeah. Is that for the end times? If things go really south, that we have the ability oh, to start over? I thought of it that way. <laughs> I just thought of it like, you know, like developing a source of local adapted seeds. But the, the crops that do really well in the research beds, we put those seeds in that seed library. Whether doomsday prepping or more likely just hoping to get involved with our area soils, flowers, and garden endeavors, events in educational materials can be found at extension.colostate.edu. It's the depths of off-season, but that didn't keep several members of the community from taking a stand on Tuesday to share their disapproval with the latest storefront on Main Street. I am Elizabeth Gick. We are protesting the opening of Chase Bank in Telluride. Chase Bank is the biggest lender to the fossil fuel industry. Without the investors' consent, they don't have to ask if you are okay with them lending your money to the fossil fuel industry. According to the most recent Banking on Climate Chaos Fossil Fuel Finance Report, between 2016 and 2021, Chase Bank financed fossil fuels globally to the tune of $382 billion. If they invested their $382 billion that they gave to the fossil fuel industry in renewables, we would be in awesome shape. In a written statement to Cotto, J.P. Morgan Chase stated, quote, We provide financing all across the energy sector, supporting energy security, helping clients accelerate their low-carbon transitions, and increasing clean energy financing with a target of $1 trillion for green initiatives by 2030, end quote. The protest is small. Only a handful of community members stand quietly on the corner of Main Street and Aspen, holding signs that say things like invest in renewables, and Chase is destroying the climate. But Gick says it's still important to be out there, making their voices heard. It's their opening day. 
And it's good to let them know that they are not welcome, not by us. The Chase Bank and Telluride opened its doors but kept them locked on April 4th. Over winter, San Miguel County had been holding out hope for a paving project come spring. One of their core road and bridge endeavors for 2023 is paving the section of road between the base of the Black Bear Pass and the end of the Pandora development west of Telluride. While the road itself is scheduled to be paved this May, county commissioners had hoped to include the parking lot at the Bridal Veil Trailhead in the paving project. That land, unlike the road itself, is owned by the Idorado Mining Company, which is already planning to replace a water line below the parking lot this spring. So, says County Manager Mike Bordonia. It, it appears that we're not going to be able to pave at the same time. So, paving on that, we'll work through getting the legal easement agreement in place uh, after their project is complete. That will probably have to go to next year. While the county is continuing conversations with Idorado to eventually pave the parking lot, it appears only the road will be completed this coming spring. Ping pong table tennis whiff waff. Nothing says snow-filled off-season like friendly competition of an Olympic sport. Each Tuesday and Thursday of the off-season, the Wilkinson Public Library is hosting ping pong from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. All ages and skill levels are welcome. Dozens of people gathered at the state capitol on Tuesday despite a spring snowstorm to protest abortion in Colorado. Several state lawmakers joined them, including Republican Representative Anthony Hartsook. There is no way on God's green earth that the government knows more and cares more about our children than us as parents. Anti-abortion advocates and representatives from so-called crisis pregnancy centers also spoke. Those centers often try to discourage patients from seeking abortions. The protests come as Democratic lawmakers are advancing three bills that protect and expand access to reproductive health care. That includes one bill that would prohibit crisis pregnancy centers from using deceptive advertising and from providing unproven abortion reversal medication. All three reproductive health care bills are expected to be signed into law. Housing is on the agenda this week at the state capitol. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports one bill is scheduled for a hearing on Thursday that amounts to the most significant land use reform in decades. The land use bill was put together by Governor Jared Polis and Democratic lawmakers to address Colorado's housing affordability crisis. It focuses on increasing residential density across the state. It would prevent cities and towns from limiting multi-unit housing, like duplexes, triplexes, townhomes, and housing add-ons. Requirements would vary depending on an area's population. The most extensive rules would apply to the state's largest cities. The land use bill would also remove growth caps and cut regulations on things like manufactured homes. The bill does not, however, mandate construction of new housing. It's slated for a hearing in the Senate Local Government and Housing Committee. A few other housing bills were already approved by Senate committees this week. They would add protections for tenants and give local governments first dibs on real estate sales if they use the property for affordable housing. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Wildfire season has begun, and many communities throughout the Rocky Mountain region are preparing. 
For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young brings us this report about how one western Colorado community is prepping. The weather was picture perfect for a multi-agency wildland fire exercise near Hotchkiss, Colorado on April 1st. The training day provided firefighters and support personnel with valuable in-person, on-the-ground training in anticipation of the upcoming fire season in western Colorado. I caught up with members of the Hotchkiss Fire Department as they went house to house on Redlands Mesa, clearing homes and making vital real-time property assessments. At this particular property, are you checking to see if people evacuated or what are you doing here? We're checking if they evacuated and prepping the house, uh, savable or non-savable. This is the blunt way to put it. Back at the Incident Command Headquarters at Redlands Mesa Grange, Hotchkiss Fire Chief Doug Fritz explains the day's multi-agency exercise. So the actual simulation is, is a little different than a lot of wildfires because it's not necessarily a fire that can be fought with fire trucks. So we wanted all the units to come in and get used to going right away to structure protection instead of trying to like fight the fire. So this is a little different than what the fire departments here normally do. After speaking with Chief Fritz, I head out the door with Public Information Officer Vicki Schaefer of Montezuma County. Schaefer also assists with the Southwest Incident Management Team. She takes me to a staging area located northeast of the simulated fire, which is being driven up the ridge toward the homes we visited earlier. The main concern is just, again, working with multiple agencies and learning how do we all can work together and, and on an incident, because any incident that we would get, we would be working with these, these agencies. Um, and so while we get to know each other, we learn the operations part of this um, and how all this would really execute if this was a live event. That's Scott Hawkins, Southwest Incident Management Team, on the value of the Hotchkiss in-person training. Heading back to the Grange, we learned that a number of volunteer evacuees are checking into the Incident Command Center. We have 70 acres of property about a quarter of a mile away, and it's uh, grass hay and pasture. Very vulnerable, especially when the, the water dries up and everything. And so we're very interested in protecting our property and that of our neighbors as well. That's Barry Willits, manager of the Grange. His wife, Jean, at his side emphasized the importance of being prepared in case of an emergency. It would be a really good thing to always be prepared because we never know. And uh, if you're not ready to get out, then you may be a statistic. Several of Willett's neighbors also received an automated phone call and text message from Delta County Alerts. Chris Stewart, Delta County Emergency Manager, told KVNF that the time to prepare for wildland fire dangers is now. Now is a good time to be reviewing emergency preparedness tips for all kinds of natural disasters, having a home preparedness kit, a water, food, 72-hour um, kit. He said help is available for property owners who want assistance with wildland fire mitigation around their property. There are resources out there like the West Region Wildfire Council that can come in and do assessments. They do cost shares for mitigation. But do you have firewood or trees right up against your house? Do you have spacing between your house and brush and stuff? Um, is there things that you can do to 
take action now with minimal cost to you that could save your house uh, if we did have a wildfire breakout. The Wildland Fire Training Exercise on Redlands Mesa was financed by the Hotchkiss Fire District, the Southwest Incident Management Team, the Department of Homeland Security, and the State of Colorado. For KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lisa Young. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers gradually clearing overnight tonight with a low near 5 degrees. Thursday calls for sun with a high near 40 and Thursday night should be partly cloudy with a low near 20. Friday calls for sunny skies with a high near 40 degrees and windy conditions, followed by cloudy skies Friday night with a low around 30. This has been the news for Wednesday, April 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, Call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be scaling back for the next two weeks with newscasts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during that time. We will start back with our full news programming on April 17th.